0: Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio Podcasts. This podcast features a biotech CMO-CEO fireside discussion on working through challenges from the 2022 Chief Medical Officer 360 Summit. For more information about the CMO Summit, our editorials, podcasts, and webinars, please visit cmosummit360.com. Thank you and enjoy the podcast so it's a funny fireside chat because it's not one of us sort of interviewing the other. We're interviewing each other here. Um, and we thought maybe it would um, be worthwhile for us to just tell you a little bit about ourselves. We, we might be a little bit unusual because we're a CEO, CMO pair who come from very similar backgrounds and there's probably pros and cons to that. So I'm Elise Rayson. I'm CEO of a biotechnology company called Tectonic Therapeutic. Um, And our goal is to transform the discovery of biologics against previously undruggable GPCRs. Um, I am a physician scientist by training. I trained in infectious diseases, left academic medicine, and spent the first 19 years of my career at Merck um, working across almost every therapeutic area that Merck had except for infectious diseases and vaccines. Um, I've worked in early drug development, late drug development, corporate strategy, and probably one of the things I was most proud of was leading the team that brought Keytruda um, from first in man through its first approvals. From Merck, I uh, led global clinical development at EMD Serono, and then from there went to Celgene where I was president and head of, of global clinical development, and from there became the CEO of Tectonic. So, Marcy.
1: Thanks, Elise. So I um, am uh, at Tectonic now for about six months as a CMO. I started in July. Um, uh, my hist- my background is that I'm a pulmonary critical care trained physician, and prior to going to industry, I was at Mass General and um, was very instrumental in starting the adult cystic fibrosis program and worked closely with the um, Cystic Fibrosis Foundation on clinical trials. I uh, went to Merck um, about 15-plus years ago and uh, initially started an early translational development there across a broad range of therapeutic areas, eventually getting back toward inflammation and immunology and respiratory and had the pleasure to work with Elise at that stage of my career. Uh, most recently, for the past five years, I've been working at Regeneron, and had the great opportunity to then work in late-stage clinical development and was able to lead and develop the dupilumab team and was uh, really excited to work on such a great therapy uh, on multiple phase three clinical trials and uh, registrations and uh, uh, regulatory approvals across the world. So that sort of rounded out a a clinical um, experience in development. Uh, which then led me to uh, thinking about a small biotech experience. So we're going to ask each other
0: a series of questions. I think you were going to start, Marcy.
1: Right. So, Elise, um, you know, you're so well-known in the clinical development world. um, Wondering what led you to your exploration about thinking about becoming a CEO and how you led to um, the choice of tectonic, and in that what's your experience been, Log, big question, in thinking about how you want your company, company to develop and your leadership to sort of represent your company.
0: Okay, a lot of questions in yeah. there, and I could probably go on on that just for 20 minutes alone. Um, you know, as I, as I um, the, we, when I was at Solgium, we sold ourselves to Bristol Myers, and so it, it was a good opportunity for me to really think about what I wanted to do next. And Over the last two decades of my career, as I would get phone calls from headhunters asking me if I wanted to go small, I always said, you know, there were fixers and there were builders, and I'm a fixer. But then I realized I'd spent the last probably 15 years fixing. I was often a change agent at Merck. I was brought in as a change agent at both EMD Serono, um, as well as at Celgene. And I sort of got to the point where I said, you know what, it's time for me to be a builder. And I think that's what made me start thinking about switching to go over to small biotech. And then once I started looking, initially I thought I'd, ta- I'd go to a company that had 50 to 100 people. I ended up at a company where I was employee number nine. And part of that was I decided if I'm going to build, I really want to get involved on the ground floor and really choose my team and also really build a company with um, the culture that I think is important. So that's sort of how I got thinking about going small and um, becoming a CEO and doing that over a CMO because I wanted to take to learn new things and um, maybe spend a little bit more time on the business part of it, even though... I really love the science part. Um, In terms of tectonic, so there was the first part, the size, when to get involved. Of course, for me, the science is always incredibly important. Um, And what I saw at tectonic were two challenges. One, we were the ability to build a platform that could go um, up against previously undruggable GPCRs, that because GPCRs are so ubiquitous and the number of choices of, there are literally hundreds of undruggable GPCRs out there and so there was the challenge of building the platform but i knew also that one of the critical things was choosing the targets and the indications and i liked that as a challenge and then the last people the last piece with the people who were the founders, the scientific founders of the company? Who were the investors? Who was who was the board? Um, and we had great scientific founders, Tim Springer, who's a professor at Harvard and a serial entrepreneur along with Andrew Cruz, who's sort of a wonderkind in the GPCR field. And Tim's very unique in that he was not only the scientific founder, but also the biggest investor. Some of you may have read about Tim, his $5 million investment, uh, founding investment in Moderna made him a billionaire, and all he wants to do with his money is invest it in new companies. When I joined in 2020, it was at the height Right, biotech was um, you know at its highs and but it had been a very long run and I knew (laughs) I don't I'm not good at crystal ball, but I did know that the highs are followed by lows, and I wanted to find investors who would be long-term investors and wouldn't be bothered by what was going on in the market. And Tim is that type of investor. So it gives you a little bit there. Building a leadership team, I, I was very fortunate to have hired and we'll we'll get into hiring Marcy in a little bit, but really people with a deep, deep expertise, you know, on the discovery side who had done lots of INDs. I looked for people who had experience across a large um, number of therapeutic areas because GPCRs was going to lend itself to going into a wide variety of therapeutic areas. You have that experience. I have that experience. My head of discovery um, also has that experience. So um, I'll turn to you, Mercy. What led you to consider going small as a CMO and also to Tectonic?
1: Well, so as many of you in the audience who are CMOs, you've gone through this um, decision. And um, and probably we all have kind of similar sort of decision-making um, thoughts um, You know, I was really, I love drug development. I was, you know, an academic for several years, and I looked at people in um, biotech, and they seemed generally happy and generally excited about what they were doing. And um, I'm someone who loves to actually make a difference um, and be able to see that difference. And drug development was a perfect area for me. I had great training at Merck, and then I had the fortune to really be exposed to amazing people at Regeneron and expand that experience Um, and, and could have continued there, could have gone on to other areas in other companies But I really thought that here was the time to kind of jump in and and get into um, a small biotech environment and figure out what it was really like to actually form a company um, and to help build a company. And I thought I could leverage the CMO experiences to do that. And again, like most of you in the room, you know what fantastic science is going on in Cambridge and in Boston and how many opportunities come over our desks every day probably still do to all of you. Um, And so really I wanted to find a place where i could really make a commitment and really help build that company and so of course you know you look at you know what's the underlying science what's the board look like how much support does the board seem to have for their ceo um, how much um, how much um, funding is there like how successful have they been in their series a raise does it really seem like we're gonna actually have enough money to do what they say we're supposed to do and, and so there were a number of those check boxes that were there for Tectonic. But I think ultimately what was the tipping point was really understanding how important that CEO CMO relationship was going to be. And I really felt, you know, given the previous experience with Elise, I really felt like that's where I could leverage my strengths best to actually help support and drive sort of that aspect of her leadership team. So that's really what tipped the point for me, is the relationship that I had. People
0: should know that Marcy and I have been scheming for five years to try and figure out how we would find an opportunity to work together. So... Oh, now I get to
1: ask you a question, Elise. Sorry. Okay, so um, given that we have um, such a uh, similar background, and I think this was one of the questions that the um, organizers had for us, so we thought we'd hit it right on. Given some of the similar backgrounds we have and that we're a small company that's, you know, the, the fundamental next big thing for us is going into clinical development and how that will actually impact the company, how are we going to deal with disagreements that we might have, and how how am I going to really act as your CMO when you actually really have those skills? How are you planning to k- kind of present us as two separate um, functions?
0: Well, I think we've already tried to do it both, you know, with the board and within the company. I do my best to let you be the CMO. Well, I focus on other things. Obviously, I do a lot of, I spend a lot of time with the board. I have to spend a lot of time thinking about how we're going to raise money, what the future is going to look like, but I really rely on you, and I, I try to. I probably don't always get it right um, to say, okay, what's the unmet need, Marcy, really, really define what the unmet need is, what would the clinical development plan look like for this? Marcy, you think about how you want to build the organization. What are you going to bring in through consultants? What are you going to bring in through that? And I really consider all of that your job. And when we have board meetings, I usually spend, you know, 15 or 20 minutes alone with the board where I sort of give my summary of what we're going to be discussing. But I'm not the one getting up. I I really let my people do the presentations during during the board meetings, and you play your role as the CMO. I think one place where I get nervous that we come from similar backgrounds is we both love clinical development, and I think we're both anxious to be in the clinic, and as we start thinking about choosing our first DC candidate, I keep pushing that we're both objective and let's make the right decision and not be influenced by the fact that we're anxious to get in the clinic, and I see that is probably one of the biggest places we've got to look for uh, a potential blind spot for us. Okay, so how are we going to handle disagreements that we may have in clinical development, um, given our overlapping expertise?
1: Um, so- I'd be curious, you know, if we have time to hear how, how some of the CMOs in the audience have actually handled disagreements with their CEOs or their leadership team about going forward with sort of certain critical clinical development issues. But, you know, you and I have discussed this in the past on how, how to deal with disagreements that it sometimes can get rather heated with people that have common objectives in mind and and common respect for one another. And um, I think with any disagreements like that, it often comes to what are the underlying assumptions that may be misaligned and really having the presence to really – and the confidence and trust in a relationship to bring out those assumptions, to give them – Proper airing. Uh, The previous CEO, uh, my previous CEO, the current CEO at Regeneron, always said that um, minds like parachutes work better when they're open. (laughs) And um, it's easier to be open minded about another person's point of view when there's a deep trust and respect. And I think that's one of the things that I look forward to when there are difficult times to really leaning on that. And then also both of us understanding that external inputs are very important in molding decisions and that I don't think either one of us would have trouble reaching out for external inputs when we can't resolve an issue because really ultimately the best decisions typically come when there is a collaboration um, and a consensus at the end of, of how to resolve something.
0: I think that's another thing that we're conscious of. We both did our early training at Merck. Merck has a very specific way of training you to think. Is the way we think about things too similar? And I think in that respect, we've talked about the fact that we're going to want to try and get outside people to come in to make sure we're not missing something. Um, there. But the trust piece is just so important. I hired Mercy because I think she's a better drug developer than I am. So I rely on her. And when she doesn't agree with me, I listen. Um, Well, thank you, Elise. Uh,
1: You know, so now's your chance to sort of say, you know, you hired me about six months ago here at at uh, Tectonic, excuse me. you know, what's the appropriate time to hire a CMO in a company? And what do you think n-
0: so, about your decision? This question's come up in a lot of CEO forums that, I, uh, that I've had. When do you need to hire um, a CMO? And, and usually, traditionally, people think, oh, about a year before you go into the clinic. Um, I actually, what we found with Marcy is actually, in many ways, the sooner the better. So was I actively looking? for a CMO? No, I was not. We were well over a year before we were going to be in the clinic. Probably actually in, in retrospect, it'll end up being two years before. But my board had also said to me, it's really hard to hire and find great CMOs. So as soon as you find that perfect person, just go ahead. And I knew Marcy was looking, so the timing was right. I was actually quite nervous that I was going to bring her in and she was going to be bored. And there wasn't going to be enough to do. And I think had we been a single asset company, that probably would have been the, the case. But because we're a platform company and we're constantly considering what our next targets could should be, and we're also trying to figure out you know, how many can we afford to take in the clinic? What's the timeline? I think I've actually, you're going to have to respond to this. I've kept you pretty busy, maybe more busy than either one of us thought. And it's been actually invaluable having Marcy there really to help us right on before we actually even choose a target to make sure we, re- we really understand before we even dis- start our discovery efforts what it's going to take us um, at the other end. And I wouldn't have had the time to do that. As the CEO. Yeah.
1: No, it's actually been fun for me. I did wonder about that a bit. But it got me back to the science, got me back to understanding you know, the challenges of discovery, um, and then allowed me to apply some of my, my experiences working closely with the scientists. So for me, it has actually
0: been a really fun and... and uh, We've only got a few seconds left, a few minutes left. I want to open it up if there are any questions.
1: Hi, I have a question. Thanks so much for sharing um, the CEO-CMO relationship. You talk a lot about trust, about role clarity, governance, and decision making, which I think are really important success factors to a successful relationship. Can you talk a little bit more about your day-to-day with your teams and what you think makes your CEO-CMO relationship so successful?
0: Oh, gosh. What makes our day-to-day? Outside of
1: board. I, I am curious about both, but sure. I think it's, I mean, it's helpful. For me, um, you know, what? I really work closely with the people at Tectonic about the ideas of what should we work on. So I'm really kind of getting embedded in some of the initial um, ideas of what should be our next targets and why. And I'm really kind of really deep into that area um, and so we we try to kind of inform Elise, but we I think in our day to day experience, uh, you know, Elise, you're you're busy thinking about the company in a broader way. I think I don't you know.
0: I I really I try. Sometimes it's hard. I always say, okay, you guys take the first crack at it then come to me and we can we can talk about that. And when you're small, actually, sometimes I would have the time to go to all of those initial meetings. But I also want to, I, I hired really good people and I want to make sure that they think I'm giving them the space to do their jobs. Um, and I think, and if not, for them to come to me and say, I've got it. Marcy will come in my office and say, I know what you need. I've got it. Let me do it. And And I try and step back and let her do it. And it's that trust factor, too, that she feels she can come say that to me that I think allows us to be successful. And uh, Marcy, thank you so much uh, for sharing your thoughts of how you interact as MDCA. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Chief Medical Officer 360 Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars Please visit cmo-summit360.com. Thank you.